I'm really at a point where we're getting very close to having the cabinet and other things that I want. Other things? What other things? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something right. No, I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. To the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with From you. Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, in Oregon on KYAQ on the Central Coast and Queso in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, KPSQ in Fayetteville, Arkansas, in Seattle, Washington, we're on KODX, in Red Bluff and Redding, California, we're on KFOI, and in Round Mountain, California, on KKRN, and finally on the great AM950 KTNF in Minneapolis, St. Paul. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman. Your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today as the wheels continue to come off of the Trump administration today. But hey, why not? It's a day that ends in the letter Y. (laughs) Yeah, chaos president strikes again. Hi, Desi Doyen. Hi. Uh, Let's start right there. President Donald Trump unceremoniously dumped his secretary of state, Rex Tillerson, on Tuesday by tweet. And he picked far right wing former U.S. congressman and Fox News favorite CIA director Mike Pompeo to take his place, abruptly ending Tillerson's tenure as America's top diplomat and escalating the administration's chaotic second-year shakeup, as AP describes it. Tillerson, the former CEO of ExxonMobil, turned first-time diplomat, was ousted barely four hours after he returned from an Africa mission and with no face-to-face conversation at all, apparently, with the cowardly president. He is just the latest casualty of a chaotic White House that has seen multiple top officials depart in recent weeks and days. CNN notes that Trump and his top aides have spent recent days attempting to quell talk of a White House in chaos, with the president tweeting earlier this month, oh, remember this, that there was, quote, no chaos, only great energy. We were so much younger then. But five top Trump administration officials, at least five, uh, ranging from communications professionals to Tillerson, have resigned or been fired in the last two weeks. Just a quick list of the most recent director of the National Economic Council, Gary Cohn, Trump 
Trump's uh, top economic advisor, he resigned from the White House last week after a dispute over new tariffs on steel and aluminum. Hope Hicks, Trump's communications director and longtime confidant, she resigned late last month. Rob Porter, Hope Hicks's boyfriend and uh, White House uh, staff secretary and accused wife abuser. Uh, Rob Porter was removed after he was unable to get a permanent security clearance last month. Josh Raffel, a senior spokesman who worked extensively with Trump's daughter and senior advisor Ivanka Trump, he left the White House last month as well. And on Monday, we are now learning Donald Trump's own longtime personal aide, John McEntee, was fired and escorted from the White House grounds as he seems to be under serious investigation by the Department of Homeland Security for serious, if unspecified as of now, financial improprieties at this time. We're only learning about that. We don't know much about that and why Trump's personal aide was escorted from the White House. But, you know, other than that, no chaos, only great energy. And all of that was before today's unceremonious Firing of the administration's top cabinet officer and diplomat, Rex Tillerson, citing the Iran nuclear deal and other issues. Donald Trump said he and Tillerson were not really thinking the same. We disagreed on things, Trump told reporters at the White House, which was a diplomatic take on uh, what uh, Associated Press describes as a fractious relationship that included reports that Tillerson had privately called the president a, quote, moron. Trump offered his brief comments to reporters outside the White House uh, on Tuesday as he prepared to leave for his cross-country trip out here to California to raise money for his 2020 re-election campaign and to inspect the sample border walls that were built for him in San Diego. I'm really at a point where we're getting very close to having the cabinet and other things that I want. But I think Mike Pompeo will be a truly great Secretary of State, I have total confidence in him. And as far as Rex Tillerson is concerned, I very much appreciate his commitment and his service, and I wish him well. He's a good man. Rex and I have been talking about this for a long time. Uh, we, we got along actually quite well, but we disagreed on things. When you look at uh, the Iran deal, I think it's terrible. I guess he could, it was okay. I wanted to either break it or do something, and he felt a little bit differently. So we were not really thinking the same. With Mike, Mike Pompeo, we have a a very similar thought process. I think it's going to go very well. Yeah, because breaking deals is what Donald Trump does. Uh, Appearing in the State Department briefing room for likely the last time, Tillerson's voice Uh, quavered as he somewhat out of breath described successes of his roughly one-year tenure, uh, an economic pressure campaign on North Korea and a new uh, plan for Afghanistan. He did not mention Donald Trump at all other than to say that he'd spoken by phone to the president Tuesday while Trump was on Air Force One on his way to California. Tillerson made his statement from the State Department this afternoon, thanking his colleagues, outlining what he describes as the State Department's accomplishments during his tenure, including the so-called maximum pressure campaign against North Korea, which is called the uh, DPRK, the fight against terrorism, the ever-increasing tensions with Russia as the 
Former ExxonMobil CEO who had never before served in government said he looked forward to returning to private life. Here are some of Rex Tillerson's comments from the State Department this afternoon. I received a call today from the President of the United States at a little afternoon time from Air Force One. And I've also spoken to White House Chief of Staff Kelly to ensure we have clarity as to the days ahead. What is most important is to ensure an orderly and smooth transition during a time that the country continues to face significant policy and national security challenges. As such, effective at the end of the day, I'm delegating all responsibilities of the Office of the Secretary to Deputy Secretary of State Sullivan. My commission as Secretary of State will terminate at midnight, March the 31st. I'm encouraging my policy planning team and undersecretaries and assistant secretaries to remain at their post and continue our mission at the State Department and working with the interagency process. Now, they have been extraordinarily dedicated to our mission, which includes promoting values that I view as being very important. So the safety and security of our State Department personnel, accountability, which means treating each other with honesty and integrity, and respect for one another. To my foreign service officers and civil service colleagues, we all took the same oath of office. Whether you're a career, employee, or political appointee, we are all bound by that common commitment to support and defend the Constitution, to bear true faith and allegiance to the same, and to faithfully discharge the duties of our office. As a State Department, we are bound together by that oath. We remain steadfast here in Washington and at post across the world, many of whom are in danger pay situations without their families. The world needs selfless leaders like these, ready to work with long-standing allies, new emerging partners and allies, who now many are struggling as democracies, and in some cases, are dealing with human tragedy, crisis of natural disasters, literally crawling themselves out of those circumstances. These are experiences that no lecture hall in an academic environment or at a think tank can teach you. Only by people going to the front lines to serve can they develop this kind of talent. To the men and women in uniform, I'm told for the first time in most people's memory the Department of State and Department of De Defense have a close working relationship where we all agree the U.S. leadership starts with diplomacy. The men and women in uniform at the Department of Defense under the leadership of Secretary Mattis and General Dunford protect us as Americans and our way of life daily at home and abroad. As an all-volunteer military, they do it for love of country, they do it for you, and they do it for me, and for no other reason. As Americans, we are all eternally grateful to each of them, and we honor their sacrifices. The rewarding part of having leadership and partnerships in place is that you can actually get some things done. First, working with allies, we exceeded the expectations of almost everyone with the DPRK maximum pressure campaign. This clear military commitment attracted the support of allies broadly and equipped our diplomats with a whole new level of certainty around how to
prepare for the peace talks and achieve the final objectives. In other areas where progress has been made, much work remains. In Syria, we did achieve important ceasefires and stabilizations, which we know has saved thousands of lives. There's more to be done in Syria, particularly with respect to achieving the peace, as well as stabilizing Iraq and seeing a healthy government installed, and more broadly in the entire global campaign to defeat ISIS. Nothing is possible without allies and, pop and partners, though. Much work remains to establish a clear view of the nature of our future relationship with China. How shall we deal with one another over the next 50 years? And much work remains to respond to the troubling behavior and actions of the, on the part of the Russian government. Russia must assess carefully as to how its actions are in the best interest of the Russian people and of the world more broadly. Continuing on their current trajectory is likely to lead to greater isolation on their part, a situation which is not in anyone's interest. So to my colleagues in the State Department and the interagency, much remains to be done to achieve our mission on behalf of the American people, with allies and with partners. I close by thanking all for the privilege of serving beside you for the last 14 months. Importantly, to the 300 plus million Americans, thank you for your devotion to a free and open society, to acts of kindness towards one another, to honesty and the quiet hard work that you do every day to support this government with your tax dollars. All of us, we know, want to leave this place as a better place for the next generation. I'll now return to private life as a private citizen, as a proud American, proud of the opportunity I've had to serve my country. God bless all of you. God bless the American people. God bless America. That was Secretary, uh, now former or soon to be former Secretary of State Rex Tillerson at the State Department today after being fired by the President of the United States, not in person, uh, earlier on Tuesday. He notably did not mention Donald Trump at all, nor thank him for the opportunity to serve, nor did he take any questions from reporters before exiting after his brief remarks. In an illustration of the Gulf that has long separated Tillerson and Trump, the White House and the State Department vigorously disagreed about whether Tillerson had ever been informed of his firing in advance. Under Secretary of State Steve Goldstein and other State Department officials said on Tuesday uh, morning that uh, Tillerson had not learned he was dismissed until he saw Trump's early morning tweet and had not discussed it directly with Trump. Goldstein said the former ExxonMobil CEO was, quote, unaware of the reason that he was fired and, quote, had every intention of staying. Then Goldstein, hours after making those comments, was fired as well. Well, there you go. Yep. This has uh, moved, frankly, from chaos to a purge uh, at the very top of the U.S. government. Multiple White House. Maybe that's why uh, Donald Trump says, oh, it's not chaos. This is a purge. This is what he wants to do. And he's doing it. Multiple White House officials said that Tillerson had been informed of the decision uh, last Friday while in Ethiopia. These are White House officials. One official said that Chief of Staff John Kelly 
who I guess has yet to be fired himself, uh, he had called Tillerson uh, last Friday and again on Saturday to warn him that Trump was about to take imminent action if he did not resign and that a replacement had already been identified. Uh, when Tillerson didn't step aside, Trump fired him, according to the official. All of these officials demanded anonymity when uh, speaking to uh, the AP here because they were not authorized to speak about this. So who knows? Who knows who's telling the truth? Trump's change puts Pompeo, Mike Pompeo, an ardent foe of the Iran nuclear deal, in charge of U.S. diplomacy as the president decides whether to withdraw from uh, withdraw the U.S. from that agreement. Trump faces another deadline in May to decide whether to remain in the Obama-era nuclear deal that uh, Trump campaigned vigorously against. And, of course, by May is when the uh, supposed meeting between Donald Trump and North Korean leader Kim Jong-un is supposed to happen, though it should be noted that Pyongyang has still not confirmed any such meeting or even any such invitation to meet as Trump quickly accepted even the suggestion that Kim was interested in face-to-face talks with the president. Tillerson, for his part, has pushed Trump to remain in that Iran agreement, which has been very effective by everyone, uh, except for Trump and Pompeo's measures, I guess. Uh, And uh, Tillerson had been uh, pursuing a delicate strategy with European allies and others to try and improve or augment it. To Trump's liking, the president said he was nominating the CIA's deputy director, Gina Haspel, to take over for Pompeo at the intelligence agency. All of this, remember, came by way of a tweet on Tuesday morning from Donald Trump. That tweet read, quote, Mike Pompeo, director of the CIA, will become our new secretary of state. He will do a fantastic job. Thank you to Rex Tillerson for his service. Gina Haspel will become the new director of the CIA and the first woman so chosen. So chosen. Congratulations to all. That was it. That was how this happened. Several Democrats quickly raised concerns about both Pompeo and Haspel, suggesting their confirmation hearings could be contentious. Senator Ron Wyden of Oregon, a Senate Intelligence Committee uh, member, uh, accused Pompeo of being insufficiently tough on Russia and said he'd demonstrated, quote, a casual relationship to truth and principle. That's putting it nicely, Senator. Democratic California Congresswoman Barbara Lee said in an emailed statement this afternoon that President Trump has chosen the worst possible time to upend our national security and diplomatic agencies rather than sowing chaos within his own cabinet. President Trump should be working with seasoned experts to prepare for the high stakes talks with North Korea and addressing Russia's attempt to undermine our democracy. She writes, while Rex Tillerson's demoralizing tenure at the State Department did little to make our world a safer place, Mike Pompeo's track record in the House and at the CIA raised serious red flags about his commitment to diplomacy and development. She said we need an experienced diplomat to lead the State Department, not a rubber stamp for President Trump. She added... Uh, Additionally, I am appalled by the nomination of Gina Haspel as CIA director, her role overseeing the Bush administration's illegal torture program should disqualify her from serving in this important position. Pompeo, 
Notes AP has already been confirmed by the Senate for his current role at the CIA, making it likely that he will be confirmed for the State Department role. But my guest, national security journalist Marcy Wheeler, is not so sure about that. We will talk about Tillerson, Pompeo, Haspel, and why we're in this mess in the first place, which Democrats could have helped us all avoid years ago. We'll talk with Marcy about that next on The Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. The wheels are falling off, the wheels are falling off the road. Yes, they are. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. On Monday, national security journalist Marcy Wheeler wrote Rex Tillerson committed the one unforgivable sin on the Trump administration, holding Russia accountable for its actions. While Trump and Sarah Huckabee equivocated, Tillerson strongly stated that the poison used in the attack on former Russian spy Sergei Skripal and his daughter obviously came from Russia. As the Washington Post reported, U.S. Secretary of State Rex Tillerson says the poisoning of ex-Russian spy Sergei Skripal in Britain, quote, clearly came from Russia and, quote, certainly will trigger a response. Tillerson says he doesn't know whether Russia's government had knowledge of the poisoning, but he is arguing the poison couldn't have originated anywhere else. He says the substance is known to the U.S. and does not exist widely. He says it's, quote, only in the hands of a very, very limited number of parties. Tillerson calls the poisoning a really egregious act and says it's, quote, almost beyond comprehension that a state actor would use such a dangerous substance in a public place. Tillerson's remarks echoed those of British Prime Minister Theresa May on Monday. It is now clear that Mr. Skripal and his daughter were poisoned with a military-grade nerve agent of a type developed by Russia. Russia's record of conducting state-sponsored assassinations and our assessment that Russia views some defectors as legitimate targets for assassinations, the government has concluded that it is highly likely that Russia was responsible for the act against Sergei and Yulia Skripal. Mr Speaker, there are therefore only two plausible explanations for what happened in Salisbury uh, on the 4th of March. Either this was a direct act by the Russian state against our country, or the Russian government lost control of its potentially catastrophically damaging nerve agent and allowed it to get into the hands of others. This afternoon, my right honourable friend, the Foreign Secretary, has summoned the Russian ambassador to the Foreign and Commonwealth Office and asked him asked him to explain which of these two possibilities it is, and therefore to account for how this Russian-produced nerve agent could have been deployed in Salisbury against Mr Skripal and his daughter. 
we must now stand ready to take much more extensive measures. Mr Speaker, on Wednesday we will consider in detail the response from the Russian state. Should there be no credible response, we will conclude that this action amounts to an unlawful use of force by the Russian state against the United Kingdom. And I will come back to this House and set out the full range of measures that we will take in response. Mr Speaker, this attempted murder using a weapons-grade nerve agent in a British town was not just a crime against the Skripals. It was an indiscriminate and reckless act against the United Kingdom, putting the lives of innocent civilians at risk. And we will not tolerate such a brazen attempt to murder innocent civilians on our soil. That was British Prime Minister Theresa May on Monday. What comes next? Well, who knows? In response to both Tillerson uh, and May, Tillerson's uh, Russian counterpart, Sergei Lavrov, denied the allegations that Russia was behind the poisoning of the former Russian spook and his daughter, which also injured some 20 others who reportedly came in contact with the nerve agent said to have been used in the attack. Tillerson said, quote, Russia is not. I'm sorry. Lavrov said Russia is not responsible for the poisoning, but is ready to cooperate in accordance with the convention to ban chemical weapons if the U.K. will deign to fulfill its obligations according to the same convention. Russia is calling for Britain to share a sample of the nerve agent in question, which they charge the U.K. has so far refused to do. In response to all of this, Marcy Wheeler charges at her uh, website, EmptyWheel.net, that, quote, Trump did the predictable thing. He fired Rex Tillerson by tweet, naming CIA director Mike Pompeo, his successor, and torturer Gina Haspel, America's first female CIA director. Because, of course, he did. But Wheeler notes both the nomination of Pompeo, the current director of the CIA, to lead the State Department, and the nomination of Haspel, currently the deputy CIA director to now lead the spy agency, must all be approved by the GOP-led Senate Foreign Relations Committee, where both nominations could run into serious headwinds, with the emphasis on could, I should add. Will they? Well, that's another question, just one of many I've got today from Marcy Wheeler, who now joins us to discuss this entire fine mess. Marcy is an independent national security journalist covering legal issues surrounding national security, civil liberties and presidential politics for well over a decade now. She has contributed to The New York Times, Politico, The Guardian, Salon, The Intercept and many others. Marcy Wheeler, welcome back to the broadcast. Oh, boy. Yeah. What a day to be here. Yeah, right. Uh, let's start here. Uh, you, you draw a very direct line between Tillerson's condemnation of Russia uh, on Monday for the alleged poisoning of that uh, former Russian spy in the UK uh, and his firing and Tillerson's firing on Tuesday morning. Now, Trump's been rumored to, uh, you know, wanting he's been wanting to push Tillerson out for months since it was reported that Tillerson described Trump as an effing moron some months ago. So um, what gives you the impression uh, that this had directly to do with, the, uh, with his uh, recent Russia comments? Well, I think that Tillerson will put pre- his comments, will even with him gone, mm-hmm. put some pressure on Trump to make a more, make, make a st- 
stronger statement in support of Theresa May, our out, our ostensibly our ally in this uh, in this issue. Theresa May, but I, but yeah. I would say um, as we talk about Tillerson, it's worth remembering. I, I mean, we we talk a lot about the Russia story, but the Russia story, I've argued, may be better thought of as the kind of foreign policy story that you would get from the fevered imaginations of Jared Kushner. Mm-hmm. So United United Arab Emirates is probably involved in this. Uh, reportedly, they wanted Tillerson's head uh, and a and a big Trump donor who's about to do a fundraiser for him um, called for him to be fired. They were the ones who were going to give money to Jared. Um, Tillerson has been more supportive of the Iran peace deal that Obama negotiated mm-hmm. than anybody else in the Trump administration, and so. Yes, Russia. Yes, the fact that Tillerson took a stance that will make Trump uncomfortable on the one issue that he is is always uncomfortable on. But I think he also was taking a sane view on foreign policy. Well, I don't know. Sane is overstating it, but a saner <laughs> right. view on foreign policy than the rest of the Trump administration in, in a period where they they are rushing between now and May to try and put through what they call a peace plan, which will culminate in the move of our embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, and it'll be a big mess, and they needed Tillerson out of the way. So, yes, Russia, but it's not just Russia. So what happened to that so-called suicide pact? Remember that between uh, supposedly between Rex Tillerson and Defense Secretary uh, uh, Matson and Treasury Secretary Mnuchin, where all had theoretically promised to quit if any of the other two uh, got fired. Uh, Do you expect any of that will happen now? Was there any accuracy to that reporting some months ago? Wasn't it McMaster, not Mnuchin? In, in any Wasn't case, McMaster? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that um, McMaster is supposed to be on his way out in any case. Right. Um, to be replaced by John Bolton, speaking of crazy people. Oh. And um, and we'll see what Mattis does. But uh, Mattis may feel like he's the last person holding on to sanity or America's you know, future. Who knows? Yeah, and it was actually, I think it was Mnuchin. Uh, and of course, that was all reportedly the suicide pack. And so who knows if it's going to happen? Who know if, knows if it happened in the first place? But both uh, uh, Pompeo now and Haspel are, have to be confirmed by the U.S. Senate uh, Foreign Relations Committee and then the full U.S. Senate, uh, which did, it should be noted, confirm both of those uh, folks, I think, Pompeo and Haspel. Wasn't she, uh, didn't she have to go through that confirmation process as deputy uh, CIA director previously? Yeah, so clarification, yeah. Haspel will have to go back through the Senate Intelligence Committee, which is a much friendlier committee for people like her. Okay. Uh, what's interesting about Pompeo is he will go through a new committee, which is the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, and that is going to be a much, it should be, a much tougher confirmation battle for him for, for a variety of reasons. So I, I expect Haspel, um, there will be a lot of discussion of her role in torture and of her role in covering up torture. But SISI, the Senate Intelligence Committee, is still just a friendlier committee for somebody like her to go, her or Pompeo to go through than Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Well, let, let's uh, focus for a moment on Pompeo. He was previously confirmed by the full Senate uh, to be the CIA chief, 66 to 32. So 
what makes you what gives you the impression that he's going to have any uh, more difficult time now uh, getting past the uh, full Senate uh, to become a secretary of state? Well, I think he may have difficulty even getting to the full Senate because um, there are two Democrats on the committee, Gene Shaheen and Tim Kaine, who both voted for Pompeo as CIA director. Mm -hmm. We've learned a lot about his um, squishiness on Russia since that time. And I would be shocked if Tim Kaine voted for a guy to be Secretary of State who has helped Trump cover up his role in preventing Tim Kaine from being vice president. And Shaheen is pretty hawkish on this Russia stuff. So uh, if they both flip their votes, um, Rand Paul was the only Republican who voted against Pompeo as CIA director. He's also on Senate Foreign Relations Committee, and that by itself might be enough to sink Pompeo's nomination. Then you throw in people like Bob Corker and Jeff Flake, uh, both of whom are retiring, and mm -hmm. Corker, when this was originally floated some months ago, sort of said, I don't even know who he is, right. suggesting that he was not really, in, not really excited about Pompeo being Secretary of State. Um, and then Marco Rubio, who has already voiced his support for Pompeo, but we will see. I mean, I think already there are aspects of Pompeo's behavior with regards to the Russian investigation that should raise questions that were not raised. Um, it was just over a year ago. <laughs> but um, and, and for people like Marco Rubio, that may make a difference. Uh, as, for example, as Robert Mueller continues to carry out this investigation. Oh, yeah. uh, well, he, forgive my skepticism here, Marcy Wheeler, but, uh, you know, you, you mentioned uh, the Democrats, Gene Shaheen and Tim Kaine. They may be inclined to vote against him now, but but not before. Look, uh, it, it didn't take uh, any of this Russia stuff for us to look at Mike Pompeo. I mean, it, it took us looking at Fox News over the past 10 years to see who Mike Pompeo was. The fact that they would be willing to vote for him the last time, but not this time. Uh, well, let's just say I'm dubious. And then you got uh, Bob Corker and Jeff Flake. Yes, they are leaving. Yes, they have spoke uh, spoken out against the president, but they have voted with him almost every time since then. And then you got uh, Marco Rubio, who, uh, you know, who has absolutely no spine at all. He'll say whatever, but then he uh, always ends up going with uh, with the Republicans and with the president. So. Um, am I uh, overly uh, skeptical here? Uh, aside from Rand Paul, I think he may vote against him. But aside from that, I, I, I don't know that any of these people are a guaranteed vote against Mike Pompeo at this point, even knowing all we now know. Right, but it's, a, it's an 11 to 10 committee. Mm -hmm. So with Rand Paul and all the Democrats, he doesn't get out of committee. Mm. And can they can he go um, can he go to the floor if he doesn't get out of committee? Can they go to a full floor yeah, vote they, without they, that? I think they could skip the floor, and they might. Who knows? They might well do that. But I think that that would be a lot more controversial for something like Secretary of State. Mm. So, uh, so, so again, we will see. I am not going to. I, I don't even promise that Rand Paul votes the same way because <laughs> he's gotten pretty interested in helping with the Russia cover up of late. Um, but but I'm just saying that of all of the committees that Mike Pompeo will have to go 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 through, mm -hmm. um, Senate Foreign Relations Committee is not going to be the friendliest committee for him to get past. And there are not, I mean, and and whatever else. I mean, as I said with Gina Haspel, I expect that there will be a 
a very intense discussion of torture and cover-ups. But all of a sudden, you know, the day after HIPSI shuts down their Russia investigation, this now gives the Senate Foreign Relations Committee legitimate reason to investigate certain aspects of the Russia, the, the Russia question as well. And, you know, maybe somebody didn't tell Trump this. But, uh, but those are all going to be legitimate issues. There are big hawks like Cardin on there. Like I said, Gene Shaheen is, mm-hmm. is very hawkish on this issue. Um, so, uh, so I expect it to, at the very least, be a very interesting confirmation hearing in a way that we don't normally see at the, at the committee level. This, and I want to get to Haspel because that actually uh, enrages me, I think, more than anything here. But there are lots of reports today in... Uh, progressive media uh, quoting Pompeo as being of the mind that we are uh, heading towards a clash of civilizations with Islam, etc. What can you, uh, in, in, in very quick terms, just what does Pompeo's nomination uh, mean for the shifting, presuming he's uh, uh, confirmed, I guess, but even his nomination, what does that tell us about the shifting U.S. position on uh, on very on three potential and or growing conflicts? One, Russia, two, Iran, and uh, three, North Korea. Um, he, he is much closer to Trump's views on all three of those issues, very importantly, especially on Iran. So I think that if uh, Pompeo is confirmed, I think the chances of us going to war against Iran significantly higher. <sighs> That's disturbing. Sorry, uh, I mean, yeah, let's, no, I know. Let's, let's move on to let's move on to Gina Haspel <laughs> so that we can be really frustrated for an entirely different reason. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that'll cheer us up. All right, let's talk about it. Gina Haspel, uh, she she is the, currently the deputy CIA director, uh, and frankly, after reading about her today, I I got to say I am more furious than ever. But frankly, I'm furious at Democrats, including Barack Obama. Uh, that she's even available for this job, uh, as opposed to being in jail at this point. Ron Wyden, influential Democratic senator, says her background makes her unsuitable to serve. So, Marcy Wheeler, what do we know about Gina Haspel's background? And uh, given what we do know, please explain to me why the hell she's even walking free right now, much less up for CIA director. So Gina Haspel uh, was the chief of station in Thailand when we tortured Abu Zubaydah and um, Nashiri in 2002. So she, that by itself, you know, maybe she could say, well, I was following orders. But she was also very sadistic in that role. She repeatedly said um, that Abu Zubaydah was, was joking when he was pleading for mercy as he was being tortured. She, she repeatedly said more torture. So, so not only did she follow orders and oversee the torture of two people, the beginning of the torture of our torture program, but she also, in her personal role, was, was particularly sadistic in that and particularly unwilling to listen to people about whether or not torture worked, whether or not um, Zubaida especially was fully compliant. But then... She was also involved in the cover-up. As soon as they, as soon as she got them moved off of her base, uh, still in 2002, she said, "Okay, let's get rid of all of the videotapes that we took of us torturing them." And um, CIA prevented that from happening because there was an Inspector General's report. And then in 2004, she had been promoted because that's what happens to torturers, and she. Um, 
in that role, her boss was Jose Rodriguez, who was who had been in charge of the torture program from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So she says to her boss, "Hey, let's let's get rid of the evidence of us being torturers." And he says, "That sounds like a good idea." So they destroyed those videos, even though there were active court and other oversight reasons to keep them. So cover up. And then, you know, then the cover-up kept snowballing. So she's terrible for two reasons. One is that she's a torturer, and the second, and, and not just a torturer, but a particularly sadistic one, but the second one is that she, um, she's also, in, she orchestrated uh, both personal and agency cover-up. And so we should expect, with her as CIA director, to uh, have the CIA even less in control than it than it is now, and we've already seen since she became deputy director, um, CIA kind of exercising fewer of the minimal controls that Obama imposed while he was president. And just uh, to, to underscore this, Abu Zubaydah uh, was picked up in 2002. He was waterboarded 83 times. He was slammed against walls, sleep-deprived, locked in a box like a coffin, uh, during his interrogation, according to watchdog groups. Uh, and uh, she, Haspel, uh, ran these black sites where this happened, and then she was promoted to a position back at CIA headquarters and led the destruction of all of this evidence. I don't understand. And, and then, of course, as you know, Barack Obama came into office, Democrats took over, and they didn't do a goddamn thing. They didn't put these people in jail. They said, "Let's not look forward. Let's not look back. Let's look forward," and that is what made uh, Haspel uh, available to become the next uh, CIA chief. If in fact she does, uh, Marcy, uh, even Democrats today. This comes via the Washington Times. Uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein, who... Uh, <laughs> I knew you were going to yeah, get that. <laughs> this is just... This is insane. She, she, a California Democrat who has passed chairwoman of the committee led a long investigation into torture, said, quote, to the best of my knowledge, she, Haspel, has been a good deputy director, and I look forward to the opportunity to speak with her again. Feinstein somewhat heroically led this long Senate Intelligence Committee's investigation into CIA torture. And she says Haspel is a good deputy director. What am I missing here, Marcy? Help me, please. I can't. I can't help you. Um, I, I can help you by saying in California, you in California have the opportunity to to vote her out of office. And so this sounds like a good time and a good issue to make on it because... Right. I mean, you don't, and this is the problem, and I think this is, this is one of the shortcomings that was always true of Feinstein's intelligence oversight, is you have to, you have to demand some kind of rule of law. I know CIA is supposed to be above all of that, <laughs> but, uh, but you have to demand, like you can't, you cannot rubber stamp cover-up. So if nothing else, you know, Feinstein is sort of saying, well, Haspel was ordered to torture. She was doing her job. If nothing else, you have to not let her take over because of the cover-up, because what you are doing is guaranteeing that CIA will never subject itself to any kind of, of democratic oversight. And I, I can't explain to you why Dianne Feinstein doesn't get that, but, but I agree. This is, I'm, I've 
half my hair has been pulled out, and I'm I'm waiting and working on the other half. You know, it, it almost if this would come from any other Democrat, I almost uh, you know might uh, understand it. But DiFi was actually pretty good on this, as far as trying to, uh, you know, fighting for years to uh, to get that uh, torture report out, and then. It's like it doesn't even matter. So, yes, if anybody's wondering, if anybody's listening in California, uh, Dianne Feinstein is running in a primary coming up uh, this year against Kevin DeLeon, the uh, the uh, uh, Senate uh, leader, uh, California State Senate leader. Uh, he's a progressive. He's uh, challenging her. And uh, at the recent Democratic uh, California Democratic Party convention, they chose to not endorse uh, 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 Feinstein. Uh, Kevin DeLeon, actually, he didn't get endorsed either, but he got more votes for endorsement than she did. So just keep that in mind. But to to many progressives, Marcy, who are regularly now citing former George W. Bush guys, like uh, former director of intelligence James Clapper, former national security director Michael Hayden, former CIA director John Brennan, as if they are our friends— since they've been critical of Donald Trump. Let me just read one quote from John Brennan today and get your thoughts on that, Marcy. Uh, Sorry. Uh, So talking about um, uh, Haspel again here, she was involved in a very, very controversial program. He's talking about torture at black sites. He said, I do think there's going to be close scrutiny given to her nomination. Oh, well, that's good. But I do think At the end of the day, she will be confirmed, and she should be confirmed. She has a lot of integrity. She tried to carry out her duties at CIA to the best of her ability, even when CIA was asked to do some very difficult things. Gina is a very competent professional who I think deserves the chance to take the helm at CIA. That guy, those guys, frankly, are the same guys that uh, folks are simply taking their word on everything that comes out uh, concerning the Russia investigation. This all troubles me to no end, Marcy. And they're the same people, Brad, who yesterday, when Hipsy cut off its Russia investigation, um, in spite of a ton of evidence that they, A, haven't finished, and B... That's the, um, the House, that just the, the, the permanent uh, House Select Committee on Intelligence, yeah. Yeah. So all these same people, the ones you all named, were like, you know, this is terrible oversight out of HIPSI, you know, we can't have this kind of partisan oversight, blah, 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 blah. You know, there was the same kind of partisan oversight during torture. Um, For example, Pat Roberts, you know, um, Bob Graham had started an investigation in torture as early as 2002, and um, and CIA told Pat Roberts, who took over, that don't do it. And he said, oh, I can think of ten reasons not to do it, starting with the fact that my president is the one who, who, who okayed it. You know, so it's like these same people who say Hipsy is doing such a terrible job with the Russian investigation. That's true. Also are the ones who were thrilled that Gina Haspel never got any oversight, or them, or mm-hmm. their their predecessors who tortured. And so... It's, you know, when people talk about how we ended up with Donald Trump, this is the problem, is that we have excused things like torture for so long that it just created the opportunity for Donald Trump. Yes, he's worse, but yes, those precedents really created the way for him. Yeah, they did. And I know that folks like you, folks like me, Marcy, uh, had been yelling and screaming about that years ago, you know, when Obama came in and tried to say, if there is no accountability now, these people will be back. Well, 
Great news. They're back. These people are back. Yep. Uh, Marcy Wheeler. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. Uh, well, uh, go ahead and, and just pencil it into your book when uh, John Bolton gets his nomination. I want you back that day as well. Marcy Wheeler, uh, <laughs> National... Well, no. Yeah? Very importantly, Brad, that's not a nomination. He gets appointed because it's not Senate confirmed. So if, if Trump wants him, he's in charge of nuking North Korea. Thanks, Marcy Sorry. Wheeler. You've even made <laughs> the day better than I thought it could be. Check out her work at EmptyWheel.net and on the Twitters at EmptyWheel. Uh, Jesus. Thank you, Marcy. Talk to, talk to you soon. <laughs> I think. Take care, Brad. Yep. Jeez. I, I don't know why we're laughing. Oh, my God. Why are we laughing? Oh, I, my God. That's yeah. all I can say, especially that last bombshell about Bolton. I thought there was going to be something holding that back, but apparently not. There is nothing holding anything back at this point. Yes, this is as bad as we've been trying to warn people, as we've been trying to warn people uh, since his election, well before his election, when people were not taking Donald Trump's uh, candidacy seriously. Uh, and frankly, years before his candidacy, when we were warning about Exactly this day that now seems to be upon yeah, us. Yeah, and, and remember, it is not just Trump. This is also the Republicans in Congress who are helping perpetuate this. And the Democrats who are helping as well. Uh, okay, Des, can you cheer us up with the Green News Report? <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> That's how bad it is. All right, quick break, and we are back with that right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. Remember me, the guy who was warning you about Donald Trump from the day he entered the race, when the rest of the U.S. media were telling you his candidacy was a joke, that he'd never win, and that Hillary Clinton had it in the bag. We told you otherwise from the beginning and up until Election Day. Well, we may have been right, but we still don't have corporate or foundational support. We still rely on you to stay on your public airwaves. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to support the work that Desi Doyen and I do every day. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thank you. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, Desi Doyen, this just in from oh, yeah? uh, an AP source. President Trump considering replacing embattled uh, Veterans Affairs Secretary Shulkin with Energy Secretary Rick Perry. Oh, my God. Really? Oh, my. At the same time, I noticed this tweet uh, from earlier today from uh, Matt Iglesias over at Vox.com. He says, it's a mistake to see this turnover as Trump unraveling. It's Trump feeling stronger, more confident and more empowered to build the team that he wants rather than reluctantly accepting people who are acceptable to others. Oh, dear. Don't know if he's right about that, but I will say uh, the news of Tillerson's firing uh, came in a bit too late to make our uh, Green News report today. But ironically enough, Tillerson, the former ExxonMobil head, 
he was not a climate change denier. No, no, se. he was not. He actually accepted climate science and he actually advocated that the United States stay in the United Nations Paris Climate Agreement. And how about the new guy, Mike Pompeo, if he is uh, if he is in, is is he a denier? Uh, yeah, he, he, he seems to be. I mean, during his confirmation hearing last year, he refused to answer any questions regarding climate change. And also uh, Think Progress reports that back in a 2013 interview, he uh, told C-SPAN the science on climate change needs to continue to develop. So so it seems like for the first time we very well may have a secretary of state who is a full-on climate change denier. And with that, let's get to it. Our latest Green News report. Even if you take the highest possible estimate of cost and the lowest possible estimate of benefits, benefits are still well over double what the costs were. Trump doesn't want you to know his own report shows the benefits of environmental regulations far outweigh the costs. Colorado Republicans kill Bill prioritizing public health in oil and gas development. Interior Secretary pulls lands in his own state from oil and gas auction. Plus, it's just one after the other. The third major storm in the Northeast in 10 days underscores the need to invest in electric grid resilience. All of those needs and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. And we have four to nine inches of global warming hoax piling up outside. (laughs) Thanks, China. Yep, thanks. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, I guess it's not unheard of, but man, this is the third nor'easter about to hit the East Coast in, what, a week or two? Yes, in less than two weeks. And that is likely to bring even more power outages, even as hundreds of thousands of customers already remain without electricity after the previous two storms. Back-to-back storms, as you mentioned, are rare but not unheard of for the region. But the impacts, with little time for recovery in between, underscore what climate scientists have been warning about for years. Because of the documented increase in heavy precipitation events in the United States since 1950, We need to invest in infrastructure, like the electric grid. It needs to be hardened for resilience because of the increase in extreme weather events due to global warming. And this isn't just back-to-back storms. This is back-to-back-to-back storms in the Northeast. And intense ones at that. Yep. The benefits of regulations far outweigh their costs as much as seven times their cost, especially environmental regulations. That's the conclusion of a new report that was quietly released by President Trump's own Office of Management and Budget, which found that unequivocally, at a minimum, even when using the highest possible estimates of cost, major regulations like the Clean Air Act and the Clean Water Act return more than double their cost in benefits to the American people. According to David Roberts of Vox on a recent broadcast, Trump's rollbacks of major environmental regulations to reduce compliance costs for corporations actually amount to a pollution tax of sorts on everyday Americans. Air quality regulations are a downward redistribution of income. That's the right way to think about them. It's taking income out of corporate pockets and putting it into the pockets of average people who have to breathe the air. And, and the reverse, reversing or, or getting rid of these regulations is an upward income redistribution. You're taking po- money out of the pockets of ordinary people in the form of health costs mm-hmm. and missed work and all the rest of it, and you're putting it in the pockets 
of industrialists. So as it turns out, when Donald Trump and Scott Pruitt and these guys all say cutting regulations is good for the economy, turns out they're lying and their own report from their own administration now shows it? Yep. Imagine that. Meanwhile, in Colorado, after heavy lobbying from the oil and gas industry, Republican lawmakers in the state legislature last week killed proposed legislation that would have required Colorado state regulators of the oil and gas industry to prioritize public safety and to treat protection of public health and the environment as a precondition before allowing further encroachment of drilling operations inside city limits and near homes and schools. Well, we'd hate to do that. In Utah, in the fight to save Bears Ears National Monument, internal Interior Department emails obtained in a lawsuit by the New York Times show that oil and gas were the primary motivation behind the Trump administration's decision to shrink the monument. The Trump administration had claimed early last year that its so-called monument review had no predetermined outcomes, but the internal documents tell a different story, showing that long before the review was launched, Interior Department officials were primarily focused on oil and gas exploration. Native American tribes have vowed to sue over Trump's plans to cut nearly 90 percent of the monument in southeastern Utah. Finally, some good news, at least for folks in Montana. Speaking of Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke, he has unexpectedly withdrawn more than 17,000 acres of the public's lands from consideration for an auction of leases to the oil and natural gas industry. Local and national environmental groups had tried to stop the sale, arguing drilling in these areas would harm the Yellowstone River and other sensitive regions. Zinke said that the department needed to study the area more before putting it up for auction. I'm sure it's purely coincidental that the protected lands happen to be located in Zinke's home state. Where he's planning to run for governor. So he takes all this public land out of our national park so that it can be sold, given away to oil and gas interests. But in his own home state, he protects public lands from those very same oil and gas interests. Funny that. For much more on all of these reports and the ones we couldn't get to, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyne. And this has been your Green News Report. This land is your land, and this land is my land. From the California to the New York Island, from the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters, Thank you. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen, our producer. Uh, Thanks to my guest today, Marcy Wheeler of EmptyWheel.net, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. My thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to sign up for a subscription of any amount you like. To help the broadcast stay on your public airwaves, we need your help. Uh, And so thanks to those of you who have stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us keep doing what we do without corporate or political support. Uh, You can drop me an email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the bradblog. That is it. Until tomorrow's nightmare. Uh, We'll see you then. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. The voice was chanting as the fog was lifting. This land was made for you and me. This land is your land.
Land from Cal.